Welcome back to the Determined People Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. We offer encouragement, strength, and hope to a world that's in desperate need of it. Our world, our society, our culture needs hope like never before in my lifetime. No one knows the need for hope more than somebody who is caught in the throes of addiction. Our guest today was one of those people. Christine Moore is a John Maxwell speaker, trainer, coach, and she's a certified peer recovery coach. Christine is in recovery from an addiction to prescription pills. She hid it for 15 years until everything came crashing down. She was a wife, a mother, and headed to rehab, only to learn four days before leaving rehab that her husband was divorcing her and taking their two kids with them. Let's fast forward 10 years. Christine has rebuilt her life one day at a time, as the saying goes. And she's come on agreeing to share her incredible story of recovery and redemption with us. Thank you for being here, Christine. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm, I'm glad you're here. This is We're going to get that 10-year period going through there. But let's start off with you grew up in Dallas, and from what I could glean from your website and, and talking to you, you grew up in a pretty normal home. Yes, I did. I grew up uh, with both parents and grew up as a Christian, went to church every Sunday, Wednesday, and uh, I was a gymnast. I was a ballet dancer. I had a lot of discipline and structure growing up. Mm-hmm. And when I heard the word addiction, I never thought in a million years that that would be a part of my life. When I heard the word addict or alcoholic addiction, I thought of that's somebody who lives on the streets or that's somebody who has uh, no ambition in life, who's a loser. And so I had no clue that that would be a part of my life eventually. That must have been quite a wake-up call. Yes. Wake up, wait, this is me. I'm not on the street. I'm not a loser. Yeah, this is exactly. Me. Wow. Yes. There's a missing piece to your story, and I, I just have to ask you about it. Oftentimes, addicts, are, they're suffering from some kind of unresolved trauma. Mm-hmm. They have addiction in their home as a child growing up. You didn't have that. Right. Where do you think it came from? Um, so what, how I can answer that is, yeah, you're right. I, there was no trauma. Uh, I had a great childhood. So why would I have an, a, a problem with addiction? And it simply for me came down to curiosity. Mm. <clears throat> so my husband at the, um, in this was, uh, 2000, the year 2000, my husband had a furniture store and he was lifting heavy furniture one day at work, injured his elbow he went to the doctor. They prescribed him a mild painkiller. He brought it home, and one day I was in the bathroom getting ready. <clears throat> excuse me, getting ready for work. I saw the bottle of pills sitting on the counter, and I was like, "I'm going to try one. I'm going to see how it makes me feel." Because mm-hmm. I had heard of people taking pain pills and maybe having a glass of wine and taking the edge off, and I tried it, and I absolutely loved the way it made me feel. Really? Yes. It gave me energy, gave me a sense of euphoria, and it took the edge off. It just made me feel like Superwoman, basically. Someone I know who is an addict told me that, you know, for, he asked me one time, he said, do you remember your first drink? I go, yeah. He said, what was it like? I said, well, it was beer, and I thought it tasted like shit. I was like, (laughs) people really enjoy this, and I'm supposed to get a good buzz from it or something, but he said, for an addict, that first time you had this explosion in your brain. Yep. And you spend the rest of your addictive life trying Chasing to recreate that. Yes. Would that. Is that a fair statement? Exactly. That is dead on right. So 
you did it out of curiosity. Mm -hmm. And addiction is a progressive disease. Mm -hmm. Would you walk us through how it progressed in your life? Yeah, it was a very slow progression for me. <clears throat> so I, uh, I just took it every now and then. So it started off with just on the weekends. So my husband and I would go to dinner. I would have a glass of wine or one drink. And then I would take a couple of pain pills with it. And back then I was a, uh, I was competing in fitness competitions, mm -hmm. so I was trying to save calories. And so that was my kind of reasoning why I decided, well, rather than drinking, I'll just take a couple pain pills and get the same effect. Yeah. And so that went on for probably a couple of years, and I was able to get the pills from doctor shopping as well as ordering from illegal online pharmacies, which that could be a whole other podcast in itself. Is it easy to get pills from... Yeah, online pharmacies. Very easy. Very easy. Wow. Yeah, or at least it was. I don't know how it is now, but it was back when I was ordering. Them. I guess it's been a while since you. Yeah. <laughs> since you got on there. Yeah. Did your husband express any concerns, or was he was he? So in the beginning, he he didn't really think anything of it because it was just every now and then, no big deal. Uh, but then a couple years down the road, I was in a job that I absolutely hated. I was just doing paperwork, stuck in an office with no windows, nobody around me. And then my husband and I were kind of going through some financial problems, so we were arguing all the time. And it was just a, just a tough season that we were in. Mm -hmm. And at that time is when I decided I was going to start taking the pills every day just to help cope with that season. I didn't think it'd be long-term. And that is where I became physically addicted because I started taking them every day, several times a day. And I was not telling anybody at this point, not even my own husband. Mm -hmm. And so I started living with that shame and that guilt of, like, I knew I was turning into a drug addict. I knew I had a problem. And so within a couple of months of doing that, I tried to stop, like, quit cold turkey. And I became so incredibly sick and so um, I still didn't tell anybody what I was doing. I just said, oh, I think I have the flu. And I mean, I couldn't work. I could not function at all. And so after about a week of being so sick, I decided to get back on the pills. Mm -hmm. But this time there was no reward. It didn't make me feel good. It just simply kept me from getting sick and not having to go through withdrawals. Yeah, just maintaining. Yeah, and that is where I stayed stuck for the next I don't even know how many years it's been, like nine, ten years. Mm. That's where I stayed stuck. What did rock bottom look like to you? Or did you hit rock bottom and start digging, as they call the low bottom alcoholic or oh, low bottom addict? Rock bottom, There's I have a, I have a couple of rock bottom moments. Um, I would say the first one uh, was, so I got pregnant with my first son in 2007. And at this time, I was taking 15 pills mm -hmm. a day. Mm -hmm. And I was terrified because here I was, you know, we were pleasantly surprised. We weren't trying to plan to have a baby. But it, anyway, I was terrified. And at that time, I was able to taper down to, you know, barely anything. And then my son was born. He was perfectly healthy, thank God. But at that time, I couldn't sleep. Like, I had terrible insomnia, just my hormones and all of that, and I was suffering, suffering with a little bit of postpartum depression, and so I went to my doctor, and I told her, 
I feel like I'm going crazy. I'm not sleeping, and my, my baby's waking up every hour. You know, what can I do? She's like, oh, I'll just give you some Ambien. No big deal. Let me give you a prescription for Ambien. And some people can take Ambien as prescribed, no problem, but not for someone who struggles with addiction. <laughs> so I found myself quickly getting into the same cycle of addiction where it started off, helped me, I was able to sleep, but my body built up a tolerance so quickly with that drug. And so I had to take more in order to be able to sleep. And then I found myself going doctor shopping and buying them online. And so I was addicted to both Ambien and Tramadol. Mm -hmm. And so um, the rock bottom moment, my first one, was when I got pregnant with my second son. And I couldn't stop taking them. And so that's when I finally reached out for help and told everybody, my family, my, my husband, my doctors, everyone. And I ended up in a psychiatric hospital. And so um, it was because I was so depressed, suicidal, and addicted to drugs. And pregnant. And pregnant. Yeah. And I'll never forget being in that hospital. I stayed on the fifth floor, the corner room, and I could see downtown Austin. And I remember looking out that window and just seeing life just go by as normal. And here I am, a Christian, a good person. How did I get here? You know, pregnant, addicted to drugs. I'm in a like a psychiatric hospital. Yeah. It probably put you on more medication. Absolutely, absolutely. <clears throat> and they were able to finally taper me off the Ambien. And I gave birth to my son. And... Again, by the grace of God, he was perfectly healthy. Not one drug was found in his body. Really? Yeah. But I will tell you this. When I was 20, 24 weeks pregnant with him, mm -hmm. I went to go see my doctor at that time, and he's a Christian. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget, he laid his hands on my stomach and prayed over my baby that not one drug would touch his body. Wow. Got yeah. chills on that one. Yeah. Wow. Prayer yeah. works. Yeah. So it really does work if you believe. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You overdosed. Mm-hmm. What's that like? Yeah. So uh, Ambien can be very dangerous. Um, I mean, it's okay. You can take it as prescribed, but just be aware of the side effects. So for me, the side effects were I would take the Ambien, I'd go to bed, I'd wake up in the middle of the night take more not realizing I was taking more because it puts you in or put me in such a kind of a zombie-like state it's hard to explain but it was just I wasn't asleep but I wasn't awake I was kind of like in the middle there not and I didn't know what I was doing you could have thought you were dreaming maybe yeah mm -hmm. yeah and so I ended up overdosing three separate times well okay if you would expand on that a little bit you took too much did you, were you passed out? Were you not breathing? Or tell, what, my, what was that? Yeah. yeah, so my husband found me on the floor, face down, unconscious, uh, and, yeah, barely breathing. And so he called 911, and, and I'll never forget waking up and just seeing all, all these EMT guys around me. 
<laughs> wasn't exactly my most proud moment. <laughs> what have I done? Yeah, yeah. And then also waking up in the hospital and like, what happened? Why am I here? Let's go a little farther into that because the public oftentimes says, well, after almost losing your life, why can't you stop? Mm-hmm. Expand on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had I had everything, two two boys, beautiful family, husband. I mean, I had a great life. Why couldn't I stop? I had, I had every reason in the world to stop. Yeah. And addiction is a disease, and um, it takes a lot of work to be able to to quit. And for me, it was just the withdrawals were so horrific and hard. And that's where I got stuck. What do withdrawals feel like? Oh, gosh. Um, it, it was shaking uncontrollably, uh, major anxiety, uh, headaches, insomnia, uh, just fear of the future, um, the shame, the guilt, sure. all of that. Yeah. And I can take that away if I just numb it out with exactly it's a vicious cycle it is a vicious cycle yes but i want i want our audience to know you got through that i did and you know as i shared with you off camera you know one of the 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 theme of the of the show is here's someone's encouragement experience strength and hope let's just say yeah and say if that person did it if christine did it i can too yeah that's what it's all about was sharing our stories which we all often focus on the outward. I mean, you've got a wonderful website, great family, all, all these things. But the battle to get there mm-hmm. is the story. Yeah. And that's the relatable part right. to the public. So right. This, this is great. So with alcohol and drugs, lying, manipulation, these are just a few of the outward manifestations of the disease. Because I yep. want everyone to understand that disease is truly a disease like you don't shame somebody if they get cancer or diabetes or diabetes mm-hmm. or anything else you yep. want to have hope for them and, yep. and 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 pray for them or, what, or whatever just be there for them yep why do we isolate addicts well it's it really comes down to the stigma of addiction and that's where people get stuck mm-hmm. they're ashamed that they have this disease of addiction they don't understand that it is a disease they think it's a moral issue Mm -hmm. and it's not it's not at all and so I mean some of the things that we do uh, when we're using um, that's a moral issue but like the actual being addicted is not it is a true disease it's a progressive disease of course and I think the American Medical Association has now actually identified it as a disease that just happened in the last decade or so Mm -hmm. because forever they didn't correct they did not but you know that like with somebody with cancer that we if we see the physical manifestation in them of their body just gets eaten alive by this horrible disease. Yeah. Whereas lying, manipulation, doctor shopping, yeah, yeah. you know, um, doing crazy stuff and it all, these are the manifestations yeah. of the disease of addiction. I hope everyone will get that it is a disease. It's not who you are. Yeah. It's in there. It's always, it's in there now. Yeah. It's just because we're sick and we're trying to ease whatever the withdrawals are or the shame, the guilt, we're trying to cover it up. And unfortunately, that comes with lying about it, stealing if you have to, all of that. Why did you go to rehab? Yeah, so uh, 
in 2012, when my boys were four and two, mm-hmm. I had been, so back up a little bit, 2010 is when I really tried to start getting, you know, into recovery. And I would be, um, I'd be sober for a few months, then relapse. Mm-hmm. Sober for a few months, relapse. Back and forth, back and forth. 2012 was a point where I just knew I would, if I didn't take drastic measures to get help, I knew I was going to die. It was just a matter of time. You were young. Oh, yeah. 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 And I had, my boys were four and two. And so finally, with the help of my counselor and my doctors, and we all decided, okay, it's time to go into inpatient mm-hmm. rehab. And so I went in there. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done because I had to leave my two children, four and two, and I knew I was going to be away for a while. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, to put all of that responsibility on my husband, you know, he's trying to work, make a living, and then these two young kids. I mean, so, so much to put on him. Mm-hmm. And so, but I knew I had to do it. And so I went in there. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done, but one of the best things I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And uh, four days before I was to graduate from that program, and go home to my family, which is all I wanted to do. I just wanted to go home and wrap my arms around my babies and tell them how much I loved them and how sorry I was and I was going to be a better mom. And, yeah. and your head's clear, too. Yeah, yeah, all of that. Yeah. And uh, four days before just to graduate, I remember um, getting a call telling me that I needed to go to the front office. And I went up there, and there was a sheriff waiting for me. And I'm like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And he hands me divorce papers from my husband and uh it that wasn't a huge shock to me but what was a what really hit me was that he also gave me a restraining order mm-hmm. so I that meant I couldn't even go home to my family I couldn't see my kids I could I think it was like I couldn't go within a certain amount of feed I can't remember all the the specifics of it but that was devastating and I remember going back to the room that I was staying in and just falling on my face and just crying. And I was mad. I was so mad at God. I was like, how is this happening? I'm in here. I'm trying to get help. How, why is this happening, God? And after a couple hours of really being in a pity party, really, and and, and crying and screaming, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just was so sweet, and he took me back to a time when I was a child. And I was eight years old. I was a gymnast, and my mom would take me to gymnastics classes. And I had this really strict coach. I mean, she was mean, mean, mean. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just remember I was scared, and she, my mom would pray before she she dropped me off and she would quote scriptures and she'd be like you can do all things through through Christ who strengthens you and if God is for you no one can be against you and then all of a sudden in like what was it 30 years later something like that I'm in that room in that rehab center and all of a sudden I hear my mom's sweet voice and I hear all of those bible verses just flooding back into my mind and my heart. And I was like, okay, I can do this. And I fully, fully surrendered in that room, in that moment. And I said, okay, God, 
I can do this with you. I can do it. Just like my mom quoted scriptures over me, I know I can do this, but only with you, not by myself. And so that was the day that I surrendered, and that was the first day of my recovery. That's a beautiful story. Yeah. Did you know that you were, your husband was going to serve you with divorce papers? It was a surprise. It was a surprise. Complete surprise. Complete surprise. I knew I had put him through a lot. I knew he was upset with me, but I never, ever imagined that yeah. it would that would happen. Because from my human thinking, here you are doing the work that they, you know, your family wants you to do. Yeah. To get yourself healthy and clean and be able to go back out and be the person that you are and yeah. be a productive member of society. Right. And now you just get knocked down. How were right. you able to forgive your husband? Yeah. So <laughs> it took some time. Of course. It did. I had to okay. first focus on my recovery and just get to a place where I was healthy and, um, I also had to take responsibility for the choices that I had made during my addiction. You know, I had lied to him several times and deceived him. And uh, you know, I'd been to several different detox centers and, and, and the psych hospital, and he was there with me in that. And, and I finally just had to really understand that he's human too. You know, he, he just couldn't do it anymore. And, and he doesn't under, or he didn't at the time understand addiction. Mm -hmm. And he, he just thought that I, he honestly thought that he was going to end up losing me and having to raise the kids on his own. Mm -hmm. And so I had to come to a place of having compassion for him and what he endured as well. And then also take responsibility for my choices. And then over a span of about a year or two, I finally came to a place where I fully, fully forgave him for what he did. It's good because, you know, forgiveness is for you. Oh, yeah. Not the person who's offended Sure, you. sure. But, and it does take time. It's, it's not like flipping a light switch. We'd like for it to I be. I wish it was, yeah. Yeah, wouldn't that be easy? <laughs> but it's just not that way. Yeah. So you had a restraining order, so you couldn't even go see your children. Right. And you wanted to hug and hold. Yeah. And how long was it before you got to see them and be with them? <clears throat> yeah, so um, <laughs> when I got the news in that re in that rehab, I had nothing. I had no job, no money. I had just the clothes that I brought with me. That's all I had. Mm -hmm. And my mom came to my rescue, and she she didn't enable me, but she allowed me to stay with her until I could get on my feet again. Mm -hmm. And so I had to start going to outpatient programs, seeing counselors, working the steps, mm -hmm. seeing my sponsor, I mean, all of that. And so then I was finally able to slowly start seeing my, my children with supervised visitation. So it probably was a, a good 90 days before I saw them again. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Did you have any resentments in your heart for the inability to see them and be with Absolutely. them? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. How did you work through that? That was a tough one. It was so, so difficult because I was so angry. Yeah. I, was so, I mean, I was angry at myself. I was angry at my husband. I was just angry overall at the whole situation. That this is, I can't believe that my life had gotten to a point where I ended up losing custody of my own kids. Yeah. How did, I mean, how does someone like me, how does that happen? 
addiction does not discriminate. No, it does not. It takes no prisoners. And you said something earlier about, you know, my husband didn't at that time understand addiction. I don't think anybody understands it. Not fully, no. I don't think that they mm-hmm. God does, but yeah. I'm not him. Right. And I can't fully understand it. I, right. But um, when you were able to get back with your children, see them with supervised visits. By the way, before I move on, resentment is one thing that can cause an addict to relapse. Uh, absolutely. Holding on to resentment. Absolutely. So it's fortunate that you did not let that happen. Tell me about um, the first time you got back with your kids after not seeing them for a while. Well, they again, you know, they were four and two. My four-year-old, he he was excited to see me because, you know, he's old enough to understand, you know, I had to go away for a little while. Mm-hmm. But my two-year-old, when I first saw him, he he was very nervous. And I remember him, like his aunt was there and he was like, holding on to his aunt, like, who is this person? I'm not sure. And that was heartbreaking, yeah. heartbreaking. But it, it, over some time, he finally warmed up to me. <laughs> well, you must have looked great because you're healthy, you're clean, and, and, and clear-headed and all. Right, so it had right. to look different than when you left for rehab. Sure. I'm sure, sure. your four-year-old noticed that. I mean, your soon-to-be ex-husband had to have noticed that as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk about the 12 steps, mm-hmm. because the 12 steps have been lifesavers for so many people, mm-hmm. so many people. Mm-hmm. And I only want to focus on three of the 12, but they do work. Let's start off with the first one, which is, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. How hard was it for you to admit that you were powerless over a substance? Mm-hmm. Very difficult, very difficult, because... To me, I was like, I'm the one who got myself into this situation. I should be able to get myself out of this situation. Mm-hmm. And so 10 plus years, I kept trying to do fix myself and, and get clean on my own. Mm-hmm. And I would say, really, I didn't come to, f- to fully understand that until that, that time when I was in the rehab and my husband divorced me or sent me divorce papers, that was when I truly said, okay, <laughs> I can't do this on my own. And it's, it is completely taken over and it's unmanageable. That chills again. Yeah. Because that is the surrender step. Absolutely. Okay. I Absolutely. Because a lot of addicts are control freaks. Yeah. They, they can do it. You know? Sure. Or people who have relapsed. I hate the word relapse because it sounds like failure. It's yeah. not. It's yeah. just setback. Right. It's a setback. That's it's what it setback. is. We get setbacks every day in, sure. in our lives, right? Sure. But the um, I've heard so many addicts that have gone, well, I go with alcohol, for example. I started drinking again because I thought I could handle it. Mm-hmm. It manhandled them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> manhandled yeah. them to the point of their, they go from being, you know, Clean, healthy living, practicing the steps to all of a sudden their life is a shit show. Absolutely. Quickly. Absolutely. Quickly. And I know that for myself. I know that if I started, if I, for example, even to this day, even though I've been clean for a long time, say I go to a friend's house mm-hmm. that I haven't been to before and I need to go use their bathroom. Mm-hmm. When I walk into their bathroom, you know what the first thought is? What's in the medicine cabinet? Yeah. So I know that addiction is right there doing push-ups. It's ready to go. <laughs> I've heard that example anytime. before. Yeah, it's always out there oh, for, yeah. you know, working. And, and, yeah. and, but at least now I have that awareness. Mm-hmm. But I know I can't go back. Mm-hmm. It will, because it's a progressive disease, 
it will be even worse than the last time, which I can't even imagine it being worse than the last time. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't need to experiment with that one. <laughs> you don't need to go into, into that the deep end of that right. pool, right? Right. Second step is, and I call this the hope step, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Mm-hmm. You already believed in a power greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. Did you ever question, God, where were you when all this hell was happening in my life? Or was he even part of your life, really, at that during, during the, the throes of your addiction? That's a really good question. I... Yes, I've always had a relationship with with Christ, Mm -hmm. and I knew he could set me free, but I wasn't willing to surrender. Mm -hmm. And I I knew that if I finally turned my life over to him, I knew that he could set me free. But it's, again, it was that control. It was pride. um, It was just me wanting to fix it. And so it it was me turning (laughs) my back on him. And you also... Because of guilt and shame, probably didn't want to walk into a Narcotics Anonymous or no. AA meeting because I might see someone I know and go, what's she doing here? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's... Even a, though it's anonymous. Right, right. There's right. still that fear. And I grew up very shy and uh, I'm a natural introvert. It's good and, that you're a coach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's interesting how now I'm a recovery coach and that's what I do for a living, but... I was terrified of walking into those rooms because I didn't know anyone. I'd never done this before. And to go in there and, like, talk about my problems with strangers? Are you kidding me? And uh, I'll never forget, it was uh, CPS had become involved in my life, and they they told me that I needed to start going to AA meetings. Mm -hmm. And so I went in there reluctantly. And I was that person who sat in the back of the room and just listened mm-hmm. for months, didn't say a word. And I'll never forget hearing these people and how authentic and vulnerable and transparent, and how strong they seemed. Mm-hmm. And after months of listening to that, it finally gave me the courage to start sharing my story. Mm-hmm. And my story was not perfect by any means. But at least just <clears throat> talking about it is that's really where the healing process began. Yeah, yeah. How did you feel the first time you stood up in a meeting and said, "Hi, I'm Christine. I'm a drug addict." Uh, it, 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 it's like it wasn't real. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it was like I was a different person. Do you remember what you said? Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I, I do remember standing up in rehab and, and saying, hi, I'm Christine, and I'm addicted to Tramadol and Ambien. Mm-hmm. And some people actually started laughing at me. Really? Yeah, because it wasn't, you know, hardcore street drugs like heroin, crack, cocaine. Mm-hmm. It was prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. And and I would say today it's more prominent that people are in rehab for you know, prescription pills, but yeah, they, they didn't take it serious at first. I actually had some people laughing at me like, that's it. That's all you're addicted to. I'm like, Hey, it ruined my life just like any other drug, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. Cause, cause I've never heard of somebody, you know, standing up in a, in a meeting and somebody laughing at them. In yeah. There. Cause it's such a welcoming community and you, you right. have a setback, you come back, they're going to welcome right. you back. They're not going to judge you or shame you. Right. They're just going, Hey, glad you're back. Good yeah. to see you. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, that was in the rehab, and then once I started going to regular AA meetings, they were also very supportive. 
You get around a lot of people with years of recovery. Yeah. And they're some of the wisest, kindest people. Oh, just, my gosh. Yeah, they're just wonderful people. Really, they are. I remember one, one, one man described one time, he said, yeah, he goes, I finally walked into AA, and I'm sitting there in the back with my arms crossed, going, I don't belong here. Yep. All these people are fucked up. I don't belong here, you know? And he said, he said and I wouldn't say a word. I'd go home, and, and he goes, it was weird. He goes, I'd go home and drink and go, but I really got an hour of peace that I couldn't explain. Yep. So I go back the next night. Sit in the back with my arms crossed again, yep. and same thing over and over until he goes, I finally surrendered. Yes. And it's just, there's so many beautiful stories that come out, uh, yes. stories of redemption and restoration and the restoration of a family, you know, and yes. that come out of these things. I always laugh about and make fun of the Hallmark movies because they're these cheesy little movies, and, you know, it's the same story every time. Well, we start off with this beautiful family, beautiful house beautiful yard and even the dog is perfect right and all yep. of a sudden strife hits and the family bends 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 but they don't break and all of a sudden they snap back and they're restored and they live happily ever after mm -hmm. the reason we like those movies though is because we want the happily ever after to yes. be our life story right you and your husband reconciled yeah and that's what is leading me into this how did that happen uh-huh yeah so we divorced in 2012 and I got into recovery, started rebuilding my life one day at a time. And after about two years, he started seeing how much stronger I was. And he, he even told me, he's like, I, st I started to see the Christine that I first fell in love with, but a better version. Uh -huh. And, and then good. we were also spending a lot of time together because of our, our kids mm -hmm. and their baseball and and went to school activities and things like that. The supervised visits were over, by the way? Yeah, yes. okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, so, yeah, we started spending a lot more time together. And then, yeah, we ended up reconciling, and we got remarried because we really wanted our family back together. And he could also just see that I was, I was clean and I was, yeah. you know, I was there, I was present, I was ready to go. Isn't that amazing, though, going from that... Face down on the floor, crying out to God four days before you're leaving rehab. Yeah. To restoring your yeah, family. Exactly. And a better version of you and a better version of your family. Yeah, absolutely. Do you still absolutely. go to um, meetings today? I, oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And I actually facilitate a lot of meetings too. See, that's mm -hmm. great. Yeah. I want to talk about one more of the 12 steps, and that's okay. the third one, which is really the, this is, this is in my opinion, now, I'm not an addict, but I, I, I know way more about addiction than I wish I did. Yeah. But this is where people really do totally surrender. And they made it when they made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. Mm -hmm. Now, not everybody in recovery believes in God. Right. And as someone said to me one time, we don't require people to, to believe in God. We said we just believe in something greater than you mm -hmm. and whatever mm -hmm. that is, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, tell me what the third step means to you. Well, I mean, I have a relationship with Christ, mm -hmm. and um, it's it is hard for me to imagine trying to get sober and not knowing God the way that I do. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, it is possible to get to get sober and to believe in something greater than yourselves. But I can only just speak from my experience. And God is everything to me. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus Christ is my higher power. Mm. And that's, uh, what, there's so many different pathways to recovery, and mm -hmm. not one certain way works for everyone. 
but that's the pathway that works for me, yeah. is having Jesus Christ as my higher power. There's a priest named Richard Rohr who famously made the statement, pointing at an AA meeting across from his church. He said, there's more spirituality in that meeting yeah. than there is in most churches yeah. on Sunday morning. Absolutely. And absolutely, that's absolutely. true. Absolutely, That yeah. is true. Yeah. I have a question, though. So let's say you had to have shoulder surgery or something, or you had some injury from ballet years ago. Yep. And they're going to give you painkillers. Mm -hmm. How do you talk to your doctor about that? What do you do in a situation like that? Because in some surgeries, Tylenol is just not going to cut it. Right, exactly. And codeine is, yep. going, to, is going to you know, hit that same spot in your uh -huh. brain that Ambien and Tramadol did. Yep. What do you tell the doctor? And how do they, how do they, how do they mitigate that situation? Uh, just make sure you're clearly communicating with your doctor. Mm -hmm. Say, listen, I had an issue before. And so... Um, I think I th I believe it's okay to, to be able to take it for legitimate re medical reasons, mm -hmm. but maybe having a, a loved one, a family member, a friend, maybe keeping holding the pills for you and you know handing them out to you when you really do need them. Sure. So just making sure there's clear communication between you and the doctor and whoever's going to be helping support you. Good. That makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. Anything else you want to share about your addiction story before we move on to what Christine's up to nowadays? Oh, gosh. Well, let's see. Um, so I'm now a certified peer recovery coach, and I get to help others who struggle with all kinds of addictions, mm -hmm. not just drugs and alcohol, but um, I have a few people I work with that have gambling addictions, shopping addictions, eating disorders, and also mental health issues. Um, so... I'm doing what I absolutely love now, mm -hmm. which is such a gift. And um, I help people get on the road to recovery. And not only that, but help them thrive in their yes. recovery. Yeah. The, um, one of the steps, and I don't remember which one, talks about how what you, have, what you have gained, what you have learned through 12-step work, through recovery, is to take it to other people. And mm -hmm. it sounds like that's what you're doing as a peer recovery coach. Yeah, is absolutely. And also, um, I... Uh, I choose to recover out loud. Mm -hmm. Not everybody does. People, some people just go to AA meetings, NA meetings, mm -hmm. and they choose to live and stay anonymous, which is totally fine. Absolutely. That, if that's why they mm -hmm. choose to be to live their life, that's great. But I choose to recover out loud. And I do it because I want to spread hope. And I want people to see me, someone like me, and be like, she went through addiction? Like, what? And and know that there's hope. So that's why I choose to. And it helps me in my recovery as sure. well. Absolutely. Christine, thank you for coming on. And I will say this to you as I've said off camera. The bra bravest people I know, the bravest people I know are people in recovery. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your remarkable story. And I am looking forward to, to following what, you know, what God's doing in your life because this is one of those stories that's better than a Hallmark movie. <laughs> and it's real life. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. That is our show for today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being with us. We do this for you. We bring stories of encouragement, strength, and hope so that you say, gosh, if Christine did it, maybe I can too. And if you start off into recovery and you have a setback, Get back in. Set back, get back in. It's the most welcoming community that you'll ever meet. No judgment, no shame, no guilt. Just come on in. We're one, we're, you're one of us. So I encourage you, if you think that you might be struggling with something, please reach out. 
reach out to somebody. Reach out to Christine. Her website address is on the on the video, and so you will be able to find her and just have an exploratory phone call with her. You have nothing to save except yourself, right? Yeah. Anyway, thank you again for being here. I appreciate every, each and every one of you. I appreciate hearing from you and your comments about the show. I will be back tomorrow with another one-minute inspirational thought. And so until then, everyone, be well.